Okay, so we begin from uh, the beginning of B'Shar Shegedimu Ayin Beis Tarav. This is perhaps the most profound discourse, mystical and Hasidic discourse ever delivered. It's definitely the longest. And it began being delivered Shavuos, the holiday of Shavuos, in the year 1912 by the Rebbe Rashab. Um, known as the Rebbe Rav Shom Tov Ber, the fifth Chabad Rebbe, and it was delivered in the city of Lubavitch, city in Belarus, White Russia. And the discourse began in 1912 and extends for 144 discourses. It's called a Hemshech, a series that extends for 144 individual discourses, one flow. And then there's a extra section called the part that was not said. So actually, the way this was written, this was written um, in one long flow, in one long flow without any breaks. And then later, as it came each week after week, or each period after period, the Rebbe actually said a discourse where he added a beginning and an end, which connected it to the weekly chapter or the holiday. And then asked some questions on that particular chapter of holiday, and then said, to understand this, let's continue where we left off. So in writing, he was ahead of what he said, and after he spoke it, he would go back and add these beginnings and ends, and also edit the actual text itself. So it's a whole process of how this was developed, which we will uh, we'll, we'll post it all on our website in detail. So it began on the Shavuos in 1912, now we're in 2012, so we're celebrating the centennial. And what better way than studying this discourse from the beginning, um, which begins, as I said, B'Shah Sheikh Dimu. It's a, uh, a Talmudic, a Medrashic statement that opens up the verse, uh, that opens up the discourse, and with that begins the flow. Now, let me just say one overview of the entire discourse. It's a very profound discourse, a very dense and very complicated, but it's always good to sum things up. I would say that the whole discourse of Ayin Beis comes to address one fundamental question. The interface. The interface between the divine and the mortal. Can we marry heaven and earth? Can these two entities, can these two realities of the finite and the infinite, of heaven and earth, of the spirit and matter, of the spiritual and the material, can they actually join and fuse as one? And of course the answer is yes. And Hemshech Hayim Beis, which we call the Hemshech, the, the, the series 72, is all about how. A detailed discussion and dissection of existence and teaching us how we can connect these two seemingly disparate, seemingly dichotomous, seemingly um, diametrically opposed realities. So, of course, it goes into much detail because it's not just a philosophical academic exercise. It's also going into how to do it in specific detail, how to go away and actually live your life in a more divine way. Now, of course, the challenge is that we begin our lives, or at least in our perception, that we are self-contained, we are self-absorbed, self-interest, narcissistic creatures interested in our own survival, survival of the fittest, the id, 
or whatever other name you want to call it. How does you take in a self-absorbed ego, driven by its own interests, and turn it into something that becomes a force that uh, channels the divine, something greater than itself? So obviously, there are many, many elements of this, which include finding within the yesh, yesh is the Hebrew name for ego, self, sense of self, self-absorption, finding within it embedded elements that are beyond your own self-interest, divine elements. And of course, finding within divine elements that relate to this yesh, to relate to existence and to our sense of self as we know it. And that's where these two have to meet. So the process, of course, goes in two directions, from the divine to earth and from earth back to the divine, from heaven to earth and from earth to heaven. And in the beginning of the discourse, which is going to be the first bunch of chapters, is a dissection, you can say a map, a blueprint of what existence looks like. And essentially what he's going to be saying and what we're going to be learning now as we begin, after he goes through the introductions, is that the first step that connects one entity with another is what we call in Hebrew, Ratzin, will. So for me to connect with you, for me to connect to anything, to any object, I need to want it. Wanting is already a state that's outside of me, 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 my essence self, because if I don't want it, and then I'm just self-contained again, self-absorbed. As soon as I want something, that will, Ratzin, creates a channel. The channel is for me now to get it. doesn't mean I have it yet, but it's the beginning of the first step. If there's no will, if the divine has no will to create existence, there's no connection between the divine and existence. So this will becomes an active force, an active cosmic force in existence that we will be analyzing, we'll be trying to capture. How do you get to that will? How do you understand that will? So if we want to connect to the divine, if I want to connect with another human being, I need to understand what are they made of? What do they want? What do they want of me? You can say it's understanding the purpose within it all. But purpose lies in a will and a desire. And that is what's going to be called in Kabbalistic terminology, keser, keser, the crown. It is the first or the beginning of or the source of all the sfirot, which is the structure. So before you have a building, before you have a an entity, you need to have a will to want that entity. And that will becomes the first bridge. That's the beginning of the first, uh, the beginning of the discourse discusses this will. But then he moves from the will, from this bridge, to the actual dissecting the structure itself. And that's going to be called erpnimi, which means, erpnimi is how something is, the, the, the details, the internalization and the details of, of a structure. The will, in other words, is what's called Ermakif, is an all-encompassing, hovering, uh, unifying force that just creates the initial connection between the source and what it desires. And then comes the next step, which is the detailed breakdown of, of the, what, the, what it actually implements and executes that which is desired. What he's going to do is compare it to the human being, which is a consistent way that Hasidus does this. For my flesh shall behold God by looking at the human structure. How we too are made up of two forces. One is the details of our beings, our bodies. We have the faculties that manifest inside of each container within our beings. And then we have the general all-encompassing, the will power, the desire that is a much more general, a much more um, hovering force 
that's closer to the essence of what we want, but it is not yet broken into detail. And on contrasting these two will help us understand how we get from the details, how we get back to the so-called source. So now we'll begin studying it inside. Page 1, Chapter 1 of Bishar Shegdimu Terav. The titles of Chag HaShvuas, Tofresh Beis, which is the Shvuas, the year is 5672. Five, we are now in 5772. Or in the Hebrew, in the, or in the English uh, equivalent would be Shvuas 1912, uh, and now we're 2012, 100 years later. So he begins with, as I said, with a chazal. Chazal is a statement from our scholars, from our sages. At the time that Israel, and this is talking about Sinai, the events at Sinai, that's and hence connected to Shavuos, the, the holiday of Shavuos, when the, the Sinai revelation took place. So it says, at the time, at the hour, when Israel preceded Nasal and Nishma, that when they were told that God has a mandate that he wants to share with them. So they said, Nasa, we will do. Benishma, we will understand. We will do and we will hear. Or we will do and we will understand. So the Chazal is saying, the, the sages are telling us, the time, the hour that the Israel proceeded by saying, we will do, and then we will hear, we will understand. Yordim Alachi Hasharis, the angels, the, the angels, the presiding angels, that serve God, that serve, descended. They bound for the Israel two crowns. One corresponding to doing and one corresponding to listening. So again, when the Jews, when Israel proceeded by saying, we will do, we will understand, the angels, the presiding angels descended and they bound two crowns. Basically it means that they created two crowns. They knitted or they weave two crowns. One, the crown of Nasa that corresponds to doing, and one corresponding to listening. Now the Rebbe Rasha begins. What this apparently is saying, who? That apparently what this is saying is that what they gave them, these two crowns, is because in merit of the fact that they proceeded I will do and then I will, I will hear. I will do and then I will understand. Because that's the statement. It says, when they proceeded acting to uh, hearing, that's when they gave them these crowns. But he, now the Rebbe Shab asks a question. Well, it's not yet a question. I'm sorry. Which means... But if they would have proceeded by saying, we will first hear and then we will do, they then would not have given them the two crowns. They would not have given them the two crowns because Because then the Shmir, the listening, is in order for them to do. What I think he's saying here is <coughs> that they deserve two crowns because they preceded the acting before they will hear. 
But had they not proceeded, if it went the other way around, if they will first hear and then they will do, then it makes sense. We hear, then we will do. So the whole hearing is in order for the Asiya. So there's no point of giving them two crowns. But this seems to be a problem because But then afterwards when he says one crown corresponding to that we will do and one crown that corresponds to we will listen From here it appears in the second half of the statement that the two crowns are just simply because they said two things we will do and we will hear it has nothing to do with the proceeding of one over the before the other so the beginning of the statement appears because they proceeded doing before hearing. That's where they got two crowns, one for hearing, one for one for uh, doing, one for hearing. Had they not proceeded it, they would have only gotten one crown because it would have been one flow. We hear, and then we do. But then afterwards he says one crown for doing and one crown for hearing appears from that, that they're just because they said these two things. Shahari Eimer. Because he doesn't say, the sages don't make a statement that one crown is for doing and for listening, and one is for proceeding doing before listening. So what's going on here? Is it because of they preceded it? And that's the case that makes sense of two crowns. and then, Or is it because they said these two things to hear and to see? To, I'm sorry, to, uh, to, to do and then to understand. By saying that, that one crown is for hearing and one crown is for doing, one crown is for doing, one crown is for hearing, it seems that has nothing to do with their, with their preceding one before the other. So then, in that context, what, what is the advantage of them preceding one another? Why is the, the, the sages emphasize that? We also have to understand why the, why the giving, the imparting of the crowns came from angels. Don't we find the times in uh, in the sages, in the, in the Medrash Rabbah, in the chapter of Gedoshim, the end of chapter 24. So there we bring Moshe Lamelech, an analogy, an example from a king, that the people, his nation, they bound for him three crowns. So like in this example, just like the people of a nation, the people of his nation, his... Uh, his uh, uh, subjects bound for him three crowns. The same thing it says al yainim, which means that the supernal creatures, the angels or whoever, al yainim, machtirim. They crown every day God with three crowns. What are they? Shein gimel kedushas. They correspond to the three kedushas. We say kodesh, kodesh, kodesh. That you are sacred, sacred, sacred. That God is kodesh, holy. These three levels of holiness. Correspond to three crowns. Not echot. Then God took one of them. V'nosim bereshe took one of these crowns and placed it on his own head. V'shnayim nosim bereshe banov and two crowns he placed on the heads of his sons. So he's, he's comparing this to this statement that we're reading here. Hare. So 
So we see from this that the crowns, the giving of the crowns, the imparting of the crowns is from God himself. And here in our statement that we began with, it says, Here it says that the angels descended and and bound for them these crowns. So why angels are not God himself as in that other statement? But also there, in the statement from the Medrash Abba that I just read, it also says that those that are above crown. So therefore there is also a language that is similar to here, the angels. But there's the distinction there, it says only angels, and here it says that God is the one that places these crowns, one on his head and two on this head of his shoulder. Now he continues. You see he's beginning here, developing. We're getting out of the gate here, okay? Developing the concept of the crown. Which also is another very rich element that's all grounded. When you start reading, you're saying, like, what's the meaning of the crown? In these statements, you'll see how significant that is in the whole picture. So it's grounded in Talmudic and uh, biblical statements, all these uh, deeper ideas. And here, and now, in the mission of us, the mission in the ethics of our fathers. Esau says, There are three crowns. Another crown situation. Three crowns. The crown of Torah. The crown of priesthood. The crown of kingship. And then, the crown of kingship. And the crown of the good name rises above them all. So we see here there are three crowns. The Kanaimer, and in our statement that we began, that the time when the Israel proceeded doing overhearing, it says, It only says that they bound two crowns. So he's asking an additional question, three crowns, two crowns. We also have to understand what the Mishnah says. The Mishnah says there are three crowns. When he breaks it down, he actually counts four crowns. Because he says three crowns. The crown of Torah, the crown of priesthood, the crown of kingship. And then he says, the crown of the good name rises above them all. So bottom line is there are four crowns. Why does he not count the name, the crown of the good name, in the number of the of the of the, of the crowns that he initially, initially begins with? Three. He should have said, You should have said there are four crowns. And also another question, What is the meaning that it rises above them? That the crown of the good name rises, rises, is above, is superior to, above them all. Sha'ila rises above them. So we have a series of questions. Good questions are always have the answer, as we know. Now, these three crowns of the Torah, the crown of the Torah, the crown of the priesthood, the crown of kingship, in general, they are in the three pillars, the three paths. Let me just explain what Gimel Kavim means. Gimel Kavim are three paths. They usually refer to the structure of existence is made up of three. 
similar to the human body, which is a microcosm of existence. The right side, the left side, and the center, the spine. What would a person be, God forbid, without a spine? There'd be no centrifugal point that creates balance. You see a table of two legs cannot stand. Three legs are necessary in any structure. So the structure essentially minimum is three kavim, is right, left, and center. So he's saying that these three, like uh, we find in the Pirkeovat, it says, are three pillars that the world stands. Torah, Avodah, service, and Milch Hasodim, good deeds. So you have the three pillars. So he's saying now these three crowns, generally speaking, correspond to these three pillars. The Kesakun of the crown of priesthood is on the right side. Right is usually chesed, not usually is chesed, the right side, refers to giving. As it's known that a koyin, a priest, is the level of chesed, of kindness. Like it says, you are a priest forever. The koyin, that refers to, that koyin refers to the level of chesed, of kindness, which is the right side. When you say the ato, you. Whenever you say you, you is a revealed term. When I say him, him is a hidden term. So in Torah, when you say ato, whenever you say ato, loshen noichach, it means loshen noichach, as he's present, it means the person is there. So if I refer to someone, you, it means I'm seeing this person. I'm able to point to him. I'm able to identify him. When I say he, he said, means he's not here. When you speak to someone, you don't say he, you say you. When you speak about someone that is distant, you say he, him, he, she. The atu b'chinas gilus. The atu means revelation. Shazawa hefers ben atu lahu. The atu l'neichik. That's the difference between you and who, him or her. Atu means I'm directing my words to someone specifically. It's revealed. And who means someone that's not right? It's concealed or not here. The chesed who b'chinas gilui. And chesed is also the level of gili, revelation. When something is gi- when you're a kind person, kindness, you're giving. So it's a form of revealing. It's a form of revelation. It's not a form of concealment and withholding. Gvura, for example, which is the antithesis to chesed, would be concealing, would be withdrawing, would be in some way limiting the flow. The gas, pressing the gas would be chesed. The brakes is gvura. So, Atah refers to Chesed, giving, which is the right, beginning of Gili. And Chesed is actually the beginning, the root of all the human emotions, all begin with love, with the giving of love. Every emotion begins with love. That's how Chesed sees things. They begin with the concept of giving and love and revelation. That's also called Yoim, Shanikra Gamke Yoim. That's why it's also called Yoim. I'm sorry, as it says in the Siddur, the Siddur is the Siddur of the Mittler Rebbe, the second Chabad Rebbe that essentially based on the Siddur of the Alter Rebbe, the founder of Chabad. But Pirush Baruch Shamar, that's what he explains. Baruch Shamar, he says Baruch Shamar. So he basically is saying that the level of Yayim, which is revelation, that's the level of Chesed, Yayim. That, so therefore, Koyim refers to the right side, which is Chesed. The Kesar Malchus, who Bekava Smail, the crown of kingship, is on the left side, 
the left side, which is Gvur, the Hare Malchus, Iker Binyano Magvuras, because kingship, authority, leadership, its main structure, its main building, it's, being, it's mainly built from, it's mainly comprised of Gvuras. Gvura is severity. Liyaz de Savas he's explaining it now more in the mystical terms, and more in the, in the cosmic terms, because the creation of Biyah, Bri Yitzirah the three worlds of Bri Yitzirah Remember, there are four worlds we will be discussing throughout. To remember, Hamshachayim Beis doesn't begin with introductions. He right, goes right into the subject matter. So he says the creation of Bri Yitzir and Asiyah is creation, formation, and action. The three lower worlds, Atzilus is the world of unity. All the transmissions and revelations in the world of Biyah, everything comes from Malchus. Malchus is considered always the lowest of a world. It's like the king, the authority, and the and the leader of the world that it is that it stands above. So therefore, that's why its structure, its building comes from Gvura. So Kesamachus therefore is the left side. Kesamachus Bukava smells on the left side, Daimachus, because Machus comes from Gura. What he apparently is saying is because in order to create the worlds, you need to have symptom. You need to have concealment. You need to have direction. You need to have transmission. If it was just um, unbridled love, a flow, you wouldn't be able to create these worlds. So to create the worlds, to be an authority over these worlds, to ro- rule them, you need the rule, the, you need the order of, uh, what is it called? The, rule, the order of law. You need some order and law, gvura. So Malchus, therefore, the crown of Malchus, as opposed to the crown of priesthood, is the left side, which is Gvura. That's how you re- govern. You govern with Gvura. And the third, that's why the crown of Malchus, also the crown of Malchus is also on the left side, the left the left uh, arm. Kav is a, uh, Kav can also be the left line, the left pillar. The Kesatero Bakavamsai. And the crown of Torah is the middle spine, the middle path, the middle pillar. Like it's known in the three things, as I mentioned before, of Torah, Avod, and Mils Chasab. The end of the first chapter in Pirkei Avod says that three pillars: Ashleisha Dvarim Ha'Elam Kayim, Ha'Elam Oymid, Ashleisha Dvarim Ha'Elam Elam. Are three pillars the world stands, and that's Torah, as we said, Avod, service, and Gemils Chasab, which is Chesed. So it's known about these three things, these three pillars: the Torah, B'Kavim Tzai. Torah is the middle path. The right path is Gemilas Chasadim, which is the Kesser of the, as we said, the Kesser of the crown of priesthood. The left side is Avoida service. In this case, it was referring to the crown of Avoida, the crown of uh, the crown of the king, kingship, which is from Gvur. Okay. So now he's established that the three crowns are the three pillars of the three right, left, and center. Olahov and Kolzeh, now he's going to go into understanding what Kesser is. 
To understand all this and answer all these questions, we have to first understand what is this level called Kesser in general? What is it? To talk about crowns, what is a crown? What is meaning? What's its symbolism? What's its significance? And he begins now, he's going to explain, quoting the Pardis. The Pardis is from Ramosha Kordaviro, a uh, 16th century Kabbalist, a peer of the Arizal. They both lived in, in the Tzfat, um, in northern Israel. So Ramosha Kordaviro, his classic magnum opus was called the Pardis. So he's going to bring from the Pardis, which is made up of many sections, the Shar Ha'erchim, or Shar Ha. Kinuim, rather, I'm sorry. Shari Kinuim, which is the gate of, uh, I guess, names or Kinuim are descriptions. So the Pardis brings, the Hineisib of Pardis, Shar HaKinuim, Erech Keser, that in Pardis, in Shari Kinuim, in the, in the passage on Keser, B'zel and he's actually quoting him, he's citing him, B'zel This is his language, B'zel this is his words. Quote, Yes, Shepirish Meloshin Hamtana. There are those that interpret Keser, Crown from the word hamtona. Hamtona means to pause, to wait. Meloshin hamtona to wait, pause. The type of keser li zoyer. Wait for me a bit. Vakavona. What is the meaning behind that? This is all the part of this. This is all the language of the part of the meaning of the the intention. Don't think Don't begin to uh, process Don't concentrate and think about the Mokim in this place at all So Kesel is interpreting meaning wait for me a bit meaning don't jump and interpret what you're hearing right now, but wait until it spreads, and then you'll be able to understand. It would be like a teacher is conveying an idea, and the student right away jumps and wants to understand. She says, no, Kessel is there, wait. Pause. And wait till the idea develops, or wait till something spreads forth, and then you'll be able to understand. So Kessel in this context means a type of waiting and pausing, a type of uh, patience, to be patient. Okay? This is how the Go'enim, the Go'enim interpret this. The Go'enim are the, the, the generation that came after, there were the Tanoim and the Amaroim, and came the Rabbonus of Roy. The Go'enim are the ones that come before the Rishonim, basically the 9th, 8th to 10th century. Or the earlier even, 7th to 10th century. So this is, the interpretation, the first meaning of Keser in the Pardes, from the Ramak, which means patience, to wait, to pause. And he adds in parentheses here. And this also includes, and this also, you can, the interpretation of Keser from the word Shtika, silence. The Hainu Hamten Loshli, the Doim, the which means hamtanly, wait, the and be quiet before saying anything. Doim, silent, don't say anything. 
wait patiently, wait for me, and be silent from saying anything. So very similar, it's like somewhat of a postulate from the idea of patience, okay? So, what does the silent element add to this? The shtika, the silence, is emphasizing because it's beyond understanding and comprehension. So that's why it's telling you, don't yet try to comprehend or understand, because it's beyond comprehension and understanding. Meaning that keser, in other words, referring to a level that's higher than understanding and, and, and which means referring higher than structure, so to speak. Like it's similar to what it says in the book of formation, Sefi Yitzira, some say it was composed by Abraham. It's the, one of the, maybe the earliest, or if not the earliest, Kabbalistic text. Bloom picham ledaber. Close your eyes, your mouth from speaking. And your heart from thinking. Silence, your lips from speaking. And your heart from thinking. Omnam, however, from Mashakos of Hamtin Achis Pashit, but this is the Rebbe Rashad analyzing the words of the of the Paradis. But from what he says, wait till it spreads out. Move in the Mekom Mokim Harizahascholas Dover Shiim Mizayis Pashas Vigili. However, from what the Paradis said, wait, be patient, means that it's not completely beyond your comprehension. It just means right now, don't jump. Wait, be patient. Until it spreads forward. So, at the end of the day, it's still the beginning of the transmission, and there will be a Hispashas Begili. It will spread out and will be revealed. That means that Keser, that's why Keser is from the, from the expression Hamtana, to wait, to be patient. Silence would imply complete silence. That you cannot comprehend it. It's beyond you. And um, whereas Hamtana, patient waits, is referring more like at this stage, you're not yet there. But it's already the beginning of a revelation, Kesa. Okay. Now the Rebbe Rashab adds, and Hamtana, impatience, there are two things. Number one is ikuv is the is holding back. Let me say holding back. How would you say holding back? Ikuv, refraining. Ikuv, refraining from concentrating and immersing in the idea. So he's like saying, be patient and hold back. Ikuv, hold yourself back from immersing and concentrating on it. But it also has another meaning. Has another not meaning. Has another inyan. Has another thing in it. Another element. Another component. The component of hope. And he says in Yiddish, as is that you can anticipate, you can expect something from it. And that's the hope that the it'll expand and it will be revealed. And look there in Rashi on the verse, I guess, Kesel Lizoyer, Kesel Loshen Hukhoshu Inyan Hatikva. 
That kesser is from the meaning huchal, which is the idea of hope, huchal, to anticipate, to await. This is the idea of hope. Be silent in the eyes of Hashem, and wait, stand in silence and awe for God, and await His appearance. So he's essentially reconciling and saying that in Pardes, the first interpretation of Keser is patience, waiting. Wait till it spreads out, wait till you can, wait till you're able to contain it. The Rebbe Hashab adds that in this, there's also the idea of silence. But he explains that silence is, can, can imply that you'll never get there, that it's beyond your comprehension. Whereas patience means you will get there. So he, so he in a sense, reconciles by saying that the patience of Kesa has two elements. One is right now you are resisting, you are withholding, you are um, refraining from concentrating on it and having patience, but there's also hope. It's not just silence. It's also hope and anticipation, expectation that something will come out of it, which will be the beginning of the revelation. So Kesra has both these elements. It's before revelation, but it's the beginning of revelation and the hope of the revelation. Okay? How's it going there? Good. good. Very good. The Yesha Pirush, now, the, now he continues the language of the Padres. And then there are those that interpret Kesar Kimashmoi. There are those that interpret Kesar literally. Or Kimashmoi, as it as the word implies. Hainu Kesar Vatora, which means a crown. The first interpretation is not a crown. The first interpretation is patience, is waiting. Now we're already talking about a crown. Vatam kamoisha kesen, and so what's the significance? What's the meaning of a crown? So patience, we understood what it means. Is the patience before the revelation, which includes the hope of the revelation. What is the meaning of crown when you say literally, when you say the word implies? Vatam, the reason is we're now page two. Kamoisha kesen, reish l'chol just like the crown is the head atop all the garments of the body, like you see practically, a king puts on a crown, the crown is above all the other garments. He can dress beautiful shirt and pants and robe and all the other uh, garments that a king may eat on. But the king, the crown is on top of it all. So just like the crown is above all the garments of the body, Cain midazu, so to this Faculty, this midah, this uh, this faculty, this force, reish l'chol atzilus, is the head of all of atzilus. Remember, atzilus means to impart. So atzilus is the entire structure, cosmic structure of existence right now is being called atzilus. Not the whole seder shtalshus, the whole cosmic order, but it's the main world that reflects the divine image, the divine picture of existence, snapshot. So, so, so Kesser, therefore, in a sense, is like a metaphor. Just like the crown is on top of the head and on top of all the garments of the body, so too Kesser refers to the media, the faculty, the force that is the head of all of Atsilas. And here the Rebbe Rashab adds in a parenthesis in explaining, Venirda HaKavon, 
and, and, uh, and I feel over near it, it appears that this is intention, the intention of the parashas. That what he really means to say, be more specific, is the head of all the transcendent energies of Atsilis. I'll explain in a moment. Like the garments of the head, namely the crown here, is the head of all the garments of the body. So you can put many garments on your head. You know, you can have a garment, you can have a... Uh, they used to have a... Uh, Okay, uh, what was it called? That sits like a smaller crown that went on the forehead. You can have earrings, you can have other garments, but the crown is the garment above all the garments. That it's higher even than the garment on the head. What he's adding is basically his important point, which is going to come about but later, is that there's really two things in Atsilis. One is called Eris Pnimim, and one is called Eris Makifim. The difference is, Eris Pnimim, in Hebrew, Pnimim means internal, integrated. There's energy that is internalized and integrated in each of our faculties, let's say in the human being. And Natsilis, that refers to the internalized faculties like Chachma, Bina, Chesed, Gvura, Teferis, and so on. And Eris Makifim refer to the things that are not internalized, but they're more outer, outside of you. We'll call them permeating energy is in Eris Pnimim. They enter, they permeate, and transcendent, meaning that they really remain above. So as we said, Keser, we'll soon learn, is, is the willpower. It doesn't have a particular place that rests inside the human entity, it's all-encompassing. It's called makif, it surrounds. Surround doesn't mean physically surround, surrounds means it's above any defined structure. But it's still part of, and the beginning of it all. So he's basically saying when the when that when the Padres says that the crown is like the garments on top of all the other ones, that's, that's the head of not just of, of the, he's not talking about the lights, the internal energies, but well, they don't say not, but saying that is the Reish is the head of all the the all-encompassing, the, the transcendent makifim of Atsilis. Because a garment, when you wear a garment, a garment is more of a makif. My garment doesn't enter internalized inside the human being. It's not like it's not like food that you eat and digest. It's a garment that's around your body. And the Kesar is the highest of all garments. So it's the makif, is the Reish of all the makifim. Then he continues, a third interpretation in Keser. The Pardis continues now. And a third interpretation, The Pirish Keser means Machtis surrounding. Like when you say Machtis to surround the Tzadik. And the Kavona, and this is Loshen Sivuv L'cholat Silus Beteche. Keser surrounds, Loshen Sivuv, surrounds all of that Silus that's within it. It's like a circle. That surrounds an all an encircling type of experience. For Nikra came, and it's called this way, Lirmois Altarachamude Er. And it's called this way because it hints to, it symbolizes the, the, the 660 pillars of light. Because remember, Keser in Hebrew is made up of three letters. And Hebrew, the letters all have numbers, numerical, numerical symbolism, numerical equivalents. So Tarach, Keser, is Chaf, is 20. 
Tough is 400, and Reish is 200. So that's 620. Or if you reverse the order, Keser is Tough Reish Chaf, is four, Tough Reish Chaf is Keser, refers to 620 pillars of light that radiate from it, from Keser, that is, Ubatz Musay, and are within its essence. And they are the concealed powers that that shafim that uh, that transmit the concealed energy into the imparted forces below. So basically, if you think of Atzilus as being made up of the spheres, the spheres are the Natsalim. Chach, Mabina, so on, Chesed, Gvurit, Teferis, all the way through Malchus. Keser is a crown, and this is not, not crown here, case more like a circle that surrounds them all, because this is referring to two, 620 pillars of light that are concealed, but from which, from which flow Concealed energy into that which is inside the circle. So there we have three interpretations of Kesser. So initially there were six hundred and sixty pillars of light. It was a mistake. Six twenty. That was a wrong. That was a slip. So the three interpretations of Kesser. I'm going to sum up now. Three meanings from 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 the Pardis. One from the word Hamtona, patience to wait. To wait for the revelation to emerge and appear. And he explained in that there are two elements. There's the silence of it, which is immediate waiting, and there's the hope that the revelation will come. So it's already the beginning of the revelation. The beginning of a process that will spread outward. The second interpretation of Kesser is, as the word implies, crown. And it's above the entire Atsilus, above all the Makifim, all the Per, uh, transcendent energies and the third interpretation is surrounding and the word surrounding it surrounds it all and it's it refers to the 620 ra- uh, pillars of light that are concealed or unconscious that radiate into in a concealed way into what is inside the circle which is the, this, the Natsalim the imparted spherot that are within okay this is the beginning of understanding what Kesser, what is Kesser, what is the crown. I was going to explain it in, in what we call Hasidus Chabad, how we understand it with a little comment, with a little sense. These are words, we're beginning to sense there's something here. You know, Kesser is a form of transmission, different types of transmission, the beginning, the head, the circle, and so on. And he's going to explain now what this is. And the Indian in this is, the Indian in this is, it's known that the level of Kesser Bechlal in general, Hubchinis Harotzen. Kesser is, what does it mean in, in the so-called, in terms that we can relate to? It's the, it's the level of Rotzen, of will, desire. Desire, I don't mean here necessarily pleasure, I mean that someone wants something. So it's the first step outside of your essence to want something, as he's going to explain. When you say Kesser Datsilis, the crown of Atsilis, and whatever interpretation, 
It means It means the will of the creator or of the source to impart the world of Atsilas. That's what Kesar of Atsilas is. The Chen Kesar de Bria, and the same thing when you say the crown, the Kesar of Bria, the world of Bria, who Bria, is the will to create the world of Bria, of creation. These are what we call the individual, the specific crowns for each world. So there's Kesar of Atsilas, Kesar of Bria, Kesar of Yitzir, Kesar of Asiya. So essentially the code word in Kabbalah for the word will is when you say someone will something, you're saying is the Kesar of the thing you're willing. That's the, that's the individual crowns. Ubchinus Ak. Now he's going to speak in a broader sense. He's, you know, he's broadening it out. Chinas Ak. The level of Ak. So he's introducing a new world now. We spoke about Atzilus. Now he's speaking about Odom Kadmon. Ak is an acronym for Odom Kadmon, which means the primordial man, as, or manifest as it is in the first man, Adam and Eve. So Chinas Ak refers to that after the Tzimtzum, after the great dark cosmic black hole that concealed the infinite divine light, the Ein Sof, or Ein Sof, a space allowed for now, we're going to allow for an independent existence to emerge. Ak is the first universe, the first world. When we say world, it means the first entity, which really, even more than Atsilas, is the map. You can say it is the the, the, the global the global map or blueprint even of everything of the entire cosmic order that's Akt, which will be discussed at length further on in the discourse in the series of I am Bayes. What he's saying now is that Ak is the universal Kesa. The Kesa, detailed Kesa, the detailed crowns is the will of Atsilis. There's the will for Bria and so on. But what is the general will for all of existence? That's called Ak. That the crown for, for the general cosmic order of all of existence from it and below it, from Kes Ak, is, uh, is the Keser, the crown, which means the will for all of existence, is the world of Ak. Like the Mishnah Chesodim, one of the great Kabbalist student of the student of the Arizal, he writes, the Mishnah Chassidim writes, the Mishnah Chassidim writes that Ak is the level of Arich for the four worlds of Atzilus, Bri, Yitzhira, Here he's introducing yet another term, which I shall explain. In Kesser, in the crown itself, which we shall learn, there are two parts. There's Atik, which means removed from, and Arich, which means the long face. Basically, it's referring to the lower dimension of Kesser. So this Mishnah Siddim says that Ak, Adam Karman, the primordial man, is the level of Arich, essentially the lower level of Kesser, to all the four worlds of Atzil's Bri, Yitzir, and Asir, which is really the entire cosmic order. And now he's going to explain. And on this level of Ak, what it says in the Zohar. The Zohar is the classic text from Rav Shimon Bayechoi, classic mystical text of Kabbalah. That when it arose in his will to create the worlds, 
What is that referring to? That when it arose in his will to create the world, the will, remember, will is to create. This is the will of the general will, the all encompassing will of all of the cosmic order, the entire cosmic order. This is referring to the will and and the primordial thought of Adam Kadman. Like it says in Eitz Chaim, which is the classic, one of the classics, the classic magnum opus of the Arizal. So he's citing here all these different sources. We have so far the Pardis, we've brought the Zohar, we brought the Mishnah Chizim, we brought now the Eitz Chaim. And even more general to this, so he's moving now to a third level of will. So, so far we defined individual crowns, which is the will that defines and the will to create each particular universe. We talked about the general will of the cosmic order. Now he's going to talk about the will that is before the symptom even. The will to, for existence altogether. And in more general, in a more general sense, we're talking about the will, the simple, the, 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 the indivisible will in the infinite divine light, alien self, before the symptom, before the concealment. That's the most general will, and he quotes here. Like it says in the book Eitz Chaim, the book I mentioned, just mentioned. When it arose in his, in his indivisible and simple, seamless will to impart and to create, that is this general will that he's talking about. The All this is the level of keser of the of the crown in each level according to its level that encompasses within it everything that arises in this level of will. So when you say you want something, I want something, I want a house. Every detail of that home and that house is included in this keser, in this will. I want a particular house. I want to have the world of Atsilut. So that keser includes everything in Atsilut. I want the world of Bria. It includes everything in Bria. I want the entire cosmic order. That's Adam Kadm. I want existence in general. That's the keser, the Ratsan, that is there in the infinite divine light before the Tzimtzum. So whenever you say Keser, you're referring to a will that encompasses everything that's inside that will be resulting from that from that will. And then when it emerges and naturally conceives that which is concealed and encompassed and included in that will, and when it comes and it's revealed, this will then remains surrounding and encircling everything that exists. So basically two things that this will has. One, it includes everything that will come from this will, no matter what level it's on. Number two, once it emerges, so let's take a go back to the example of the house. The will includes the entire house, everything that will be in this detail, in this structure. And then once the structure actually is built, the will still remains there hovering and surrounding the entity that it willed. You see? So it's not just the will wills something and then goes away once it happens. The will remains a force that always remains hovering over there. The will that you had in this particular entity that you created or you conceived of or, or, or imparted. 
like the crown of Atsilas, like the Kesar of Atsilas. It encompasses, it includes all the ten spheres of Atsilas. And once Atsilas is imparted after the will, meaning once it actually comes into reality, so the Kesar continues to surround and encompass all of Atsilas. So it includes that all the ten spheres, and then after the ten spheres emerge, it remains a surrounding force around these ten spheres. As it's known that the circles, the spheres of Arich, which is the lower level of Kesar, as we discussed, surround all of Atsilas all the way to Malchus of Atsilas. So think of it this way. If Kesar is like a circle, the circle, before there's any details in it, includes the potential of everything that will emerge. And once it emerges, the circle remains there, in a way like a protecting force. Okay? Now he's going back. The same thing with Adam Kadman, which we said is the will for the entire cosmic order. Hubchinus Eir Kloli is a general and very all encompassing energy. Shakil Hakol includes within it everything. Even before it was created. And even and after the worlds are created, it remains surrounding them. The circles of Ak reach all the way to the bottom of the world of Asiya. So all the worlds that Silas breathed Sir Asiya have this circle around them. And now he's going back to the third level. Remember, he's talked about three different types of Kesar, the detailed ones for each world, Atsilas Briya and so on. The one Kesar of Ak, the Ak that's Kesar of all of Cosmic Order, and now the Chenu Gamba Rotz Naposhet Shalifni Atzimtzum. The same is with the general will. Your name for that? No, it's just called Rotz Naposhet, which is the Rotsun indivisible Haposhet Haposhet, the indivisible will. It's before the Tzimtzum, before the concealment. Because you're talking about a will that's not yet really shaped, so it's like in a very amorphous state. It's like very deep inside the essence. Also includes everything that will come into existence in it. And after it comes into existence, it surrounds it. A new level is emerging, is being defined now, identified. This is called the Great Circle. The great sphere. Igul Hagadl. This is important, all these words. Shalifne Hakav. This is the big circle. And when you look at those images that we've discussed, where you have you know the circle, each world has a circle. Ak has a bigger circle. And this is the circle that Simpson, when God concealed the light, remains a a, a type of uh, like a like a like a hole in the bagel. Is the big circle. This is called the great circle. The great sphere that precedes the kav, it precedes the 
the ray of light, the thin thread and ray of life. And this surrounds and encircles all of the Ishtalshlis, the entire cosmic order. Shema Kav, everything that comes from the Kav, from that narrow thread of light. And all the circles, all are rooted in the big circle. So it's like this. There's the big circle. Within it is all of existence. Within it are other smaller circles. Each circle deals with it. The Ak deals with the circle of the cosmic order. Atzilus deals with the circle of Atzilus. Bria, Bria. But each one has the two components, he's saying. It includes everything before it emerges within it. It's in the will. And And then it remains hovering afterwards. And this is critical because we're talking about retracing the steps, the interface, because you want to go back through that will. So it's important that the will remain there. It didn't disappear. That's why you need to reconnect to it. You can re- you can reconnect it. Now comes a very critical point where he starts talking about the interface. And this is what Keser is, is in every place. Keser is the intermediary. Mamutsa. The word Mamutsa means intermediary or interface. Classic interface example is a translator. It's basically a force, a factor that connects two separate entities. That's what an interface is. <clears throat> so this is what Kasu is in every place. is called the interface. Mamutsa. Remember that word. Yeah. Mamutsa. Mamutsa. In Hebrew, in, in, in transliteration would be M-E-M. U-T-Z-A-H. Mamutsa. Remember now, again, we're talking about three levels of Kesser. The Kesar and Pratim, the detailed ones for each world. The Kesar Kloli, Ak, Adam Kadman, for the cosmic order. And the Rotsen HaPoshet, the Eagle Hagadol, which is all of existence. So, for example, so now he's saying this Kesar, this crown, that, that includes everything within it beforehand and surrounds it afterwards, Is the intermediate interface? Like the crown of Atzilus, the Kesar of Atzilus is the interface between the Maitzel, the imparter, and what he imparts, the source and the impartees, the spheres of Atzilus. The Chaim Hanal, Hanal, and the same with all the levels we discussed earlier. In each world, Ak, Ratzna Pashut, whatever level we're discussing, Hakesar Amamutsa. Keser is the interface. Vikhenu Gamba Elamisabya, and the same is also in the worlds of Asilus Bri Yitzirasia. The Malchus Datsilus, Shanasa Kesilabri is introducing another uh, new idea. Remember we spoke about Malchus is what governs and rules each world. So the Malchus of the higher of the higher world becomes the Kes of the crown for the next world. Shemalchus, the Malchus Datzilus Shnasa Kes Lebria Harizemamutze Benatzilus Lebria Vechem Lebria Leitzir So also within each of the worlds, the Malchus of the lower world becomes the crown of the next world. So essentially, Keser becomes the higher world. Right, right. The Malchus of the higher world becomes the crown of the next, the Keser. So essentially, Keser becomes the intermediary, the interface between the worlds. 
So Malchus the Ainsaf, which we will learn later about, Malchus, the lowest level of the of the uh, that's in the Esospheres Agnusis, in the hidden spheres, which are the hidden spheres, the potential sphere, state of spheres in the energy before the Tzimtzum, that Malchus will become beginning of the Kav, which becomes the Keser, like the crown, above Ak. So everything always has that intermediate element. The, the lower of the high, the lowest level of the higher dimension becomes the highest level of a lower dimension. So there's never a disconnect. This establishes that we have stepping stones as we climb this ladder, as we retrace the steps, and or both ways, and how creation comes into being, how existence comes into being, <coughs> and also stepping stones to retrace our steps. So imagine, for example, someone thinking they got lost. We don't get lost in this universe. You have the steps to get back. That's why it's so important in this. Okay. Now he's explaining how Keser, which is now Rotsen, we said Keser is Rotsen will, desire. So he's saying, explaining, how does it create this interface? So we established that it's will and desire. Now he's going into the interface element. How does it establish, how does it create the interface? Because when when a will awakens, is aroused inside of a person, kavyoch, well, in that person, he was talking about God. When there was an awakening, kavyochel, kavyochel, because, so to speak, because he can't really say an awakening before and after. So it's so to speak, when there's an arousal of will, that creates, that creates a shaykhus, a connection, some commonality with the thing that you were aroused by or aroused for, to the thing that you are aroused or awakened to. I'm giving an example from a human being below. Before there was an arousal or awakening in the Seders. Before he awakened, before, what's the right word? I don't say aroused, not awakened. We say that before, before the early uh, uh, signs, the Seder means to wake up. Before something began to emerge, before something began to be before any will began to really emerge from him, awaken from him, to any particular thing, who moved him He's completely apart from it. He has no connection to it. So before someone wants something, what connection do you have to something that you have never wanted, never desired? You have no connection to it beforehand. And when a will to it is awakened, something inside of you begins to rumble, begins to, uh, what's the word for it? Begins to desire. Resonate. Not resonate. It's like the beginnings of something. It begins Stirring. to be born. It begins to stir. 
yeah, begins to stir the stirrings of something for this, through this becomes a connection. So just imagine, you know, here's a glass of water, here's you. You have no desire, you're not thirsty, nothing. you have no connection to it. It's there and you're here. The first connection happened when you want it. So you may not even have taken it yet. You want it. Now here, of course, we're talking about God creating that doesn't exist yet. But something you want. Or you want a house. You want a home to live in. Or you want to find someone to love and marry, have a healthy relationship with. These things create a connection. If a person doesn't even want it, they're not, definitely not going to pursue it. and It's not going to happen. So the first step in anything is the first desire. The first is the is that is that stirring, right? Ukanoida, now he's explaining as it's known, the Ratzin in Hebrew, the word for will. Interesting. See, we say will, it doesn't contain necessarily this meaning. But Ratzin in Hebrew, Huloshim Merutza. Merutza means um, being drawn to something or being happy with something. You say Merutza means satisfied, but here it means being drawn. He says, it's the leaning and being drawn to something. Ratzon comes from the word merutza. So let's think of it this way. You are here and, 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 and just self-contained and so on. Will means that something is like beginning to draw you. It's like almost a gravitational pull. It's a pull. Merutza means that you're running toward it. You are drawn, attracted to it. Vuin hatia. Hatia means a leaning. Bamshacha, a a um, drawn to it, shanimshech le'ezadover, being drawn to any particular thing. Before there's stirrings, before there's a stirring of any will, it's, complete, it's generally separate from it. He's then elevated and concealed within himself. You're self-contained at that point. You don't want any. You don't want anything. You don't. Want, you don't need anything. So it's completely within yourself. It's completely concealed within himself, and and because there's no, there's no at all, there's no revelation. Rotson will desire huatia. Rotson is already huatia, being drawn, leaning toward. It means leaving, exiting. Your own inner sanctum, vaisgalus, and coming, becoming in some way revealed, emerging, the dovishu to something that's outside of you. So, if you think about it this way, if a person didn't have will, okay, they would be forever a self-contained castle. I'm not saying we as humans that can it's possible to be that way, but if you didn't have any willpower. No will to wake up, no will to go out, no will to do anything. You would just be locked inside your own fortress. And that's that. Concealed. And no and, and, and none of you would be revealed. But when you're drawn to something, it it, it awakens and stirs something inside of you. So Rotson begins the first step of going outside of yourself to get something that you desire that's outside of you. This is the example from the human being. Now he's going to apply it to above. And, and, and similar to this, you can understand how it's above, so to speak, 
the Kedem is Seder Sarot is before the awakening, before the stirrings of the awakening of the will. For the universe, for the worlds, the infinite divine life was completely separate from all the worlds. Doesn't have any shaykhus at all, has no connection, has no similarity, no commonality, has no and there's no common denominator with the, with the worlds, to the worlds. But on the contrary, on the contrary, it's completely concealed within his own essence. And he's not, there's no gili at all. There's no revelation at all. It's completely self-contained within his own essence. And then he adds in a uh, rather, uh, uh, you know, a, a good ten line. If you move 15 line parentheses, so we're going now into parentheses. It's like a tangent. It's not a tangent, but it's a it's an elaboration within this. So what we made the statement was that before there's an awakening of any will, there's no connection between the divine, the essential divine, infinite light and the worlds. Well, there's no worlds. Yeah, but there's also no no not even not only the no worlds. There's not even interest in worlds. He's not relating to them. As I said, it's like before you even want a cup of water. There are no worlds, but it's more than no worlds. The question is, there could be no worlds, but it could be that he envisions them, or they some way have some connection to him. You know, you could, for example, not have, not have a house, but you want a house. But this quotation, if, when it arose in his will to create the worlds, you're now talking about something before it even arose right, in his exactly. will. So there's no worlds. There's no not, but not only no worlds. There's no concept of worlds. Right. That's we're talking about no worlds. That's obvious. Right. But even we're talking about without a will, there's no connection even to the concept of worlds. So before you, before, you can will wanting to have a home, and you just don't have the home actually. Here we're not even talking. There's no even. There's no connection. Doesn't. There's no interest. And therefore, there's no being drawn to building a home. Now he's saying like this. And the contrary, he's all concealed mm -hmm. within his own essence. Everything is self-contained there. And that's that. And this is even more so than humans. Humans, are, are we need things. The divine doesn't need anything. So it's even more so. So now he's adding in the parentheses. And we say that in his essence, everything is concealed and there's nothing revealed. He says, Gam you can say, you know what, it's not revealed to anyone outside of him, hypothetically. But he himself has already in his mind, in his heart, some desire. So he's saying, no, we're at a point where even within himself, even to himself, even to his own thoughts, the Yeshagama Gila because, in other words, let me, let me put it this way. In a human being, that's just say uh, there's a state where you don't even have a desire for a home. But then there's a state you start thinking, you know, I want to build a home. But only you know. You don't tell anyone. Then you tell someone. So that makes it even more connected. And then you actually go build it. He's saying here is that in the divine essence, the divine light before the symptom, before it arose in his will, not only did he not, not only is it not revealed outside of him, but even in his own mind, he also doesn't have any connection to it. Because if he did, that's already a connection. Because even when you're thinking, when something starts the stirrings of an awakening within yourself, it also has some, you know, it's it's it has some object of the desire. 
אם כן, הנה זה בכין השייך, בכין השייך זה לא דבר, רק That means it's still, there's some connection to that thing. The only thing is it's still within yourself. You're just breaking it into levels because these levels are very important. But before any type of stirring, any awakening, there was no revelation at all. On the contrary, it was completely concealed, no revelation at all. What he just added was no revelation, not just no revelation, period, also no revelation even to himself. It's not like you know about it, but you haven't yet told anyone. Now he's going to say something. He's, this is very thorough. He's going to qualify. It's possible now. It's possible for You could, for example, have things that are revealed to you that doesn't mean that has no connection to something outside of you. He's giving an example. He's going to qualify because he said here, that if it's revealed to you, it means you already have a connection to it. So he's saying, no, there are things that you could be revealed to yourself that have no connection to something outside of you. And he's giving an example. Like pleasure. When a person just has pleasure from being, you know, pleasure from, from his own essence. So that type of pleasure is not dependent on something outside of you. It's like basically the, the pleasure of existing. It's hard to example, maybe give an example with humans, but God. Just pleasure of being, okay? So not that you need a cup of water, not that you need a house, not that you need a tzilas, bria, tzir, you know? But, but, but he's qualifying, he says, that's true, there is such a thing. But you really can't call that revelation. On the contrary. That's more of a person going inward. It's, it's elevating and going to the exalted nature of his own essence. That's why such pleasure is only somebody who is fundamentally, who is essentially an exalted or elevated soul. And in a time when he's in an exalted state. Let me, let me just say, like a king, when he's in his ultimate exalted state, when he has pleasure from just a fundamental essential pleasure that, that is not connected to any particular object. Mm-hmm. It's a pleasure just from the exalted thing itself. When he has such pleasure, the truth is, his, from this exalted state, he elevates to a place that's even more separate from everyone else. So not only does it not connect him to anything, it actually brings him the other direction, where he's going even more inward. An example for this is also in Will, where Merutza, where he is satisfied. Something not that he wants something, but he's kimashu marutsa, that he's satisfied, he's content. He's explaining now not just in pleasure, but also in rotsin and keser. There's also the dimension where you just are content. You're content without having actually an object that's outside of you that's bringing you that contentment. So that's a gila. He said this, 
But this is not in the category of anything that's really what you would call stirrings and wakings. Only thing is it could be a cause that will bring to some awakening. But on its own, it's not, you can't call this an awakening state. It's just a state of contentment. Now he's going back to before the parentheses, we're finishing the parentheses. But when you do awaken with any particular desire or will, I feel it even to himself. Once you call it an awakening to something, that's already connected, creating a connection to the object. And before it was awakened, before it was stirred, there was no revelation at all, even not to yourself. So he just qualified, he wanted to bring out that there's a level of experience that you experience within yourself that has nothing to do with anyone else, but that's not what he's discussing here. That's, that's not, there's no before and after there. There's no state of awakening or not awakening. That's just an internalized state where you actually go deeper inside yourself. So now we're getting back to willing something. So the willing, the first stirrings, before the stirrings, there's no connection at all. So therefore there's no interface. That's why Rotson and Kessler are so vital because that's going to be okay. That's going to be the connection to what you want. We're almost done in the first chapter. And when it arose in his will, we're after the parentheses. Now, when he arose in his will to put existence into place, that was a being drawn and a revelation outside of himself to the general cosmic order in general, or to whatever particular world in detail that we talked about. So that's what the will does. And though this will is still before its actual creation, it's just willing it, like I mentioned, you don't have it yet. Yeah. Like the, when it arose in his will in the infinite divine light before the symptom. In order for there to be the actual creation of the world, you need to have the concealment of the symptom. Which will conceal the, the energy, the light. And also the levels after the symptom. There are many concealments. Each world, each level, each gradation has another concealment. To come like the symptom of Adam Kadman, there's the symptom that causes Ak to come into place. The symptom Hadikna, the symptom of the beard, means the symptom of how it comes through the, through the strands of hair. Nevertheless, what he's saying is, so even though the will creates the connection, but it's not yet created, nevertheless, it is the level of the interface. Because the energy has now at least reached the categorization, the categorization. You can say it's now at least, uh, what's the word, proportionate to relative to it has now a relative connection before there was no connection at all before it arose in his will once it arose in his will even though it doesn't, you don't have the entity yet but you've created the bridge we haven't climbed the bridge yet we haven't crossed the bridge but you've created the bridge that in the air in this energy you have something that's already now relative and connected with in some way with the worlds that will 
be created. And they will be created from this will. This will will give creation to them. It will bring them into being. That's the end of chapter one. So let me just read the summary of chapter one and we'll conclude here. Kitzur, I'm on page three. Begins Yiksha, Yiksha, he asks, the It appears from the opening, he's making a summary of this chapter, from the opening statement that the angels bound two crowns. So it appears from that, that was because they preceded that first we will do and then we will understand. But then afterwards, afterwards he says one is compared, is, is corresponds to the doing and one to the listening, which seems to be the end and the beginning, beginning and end seem to focus on two different reasons that they got the crowns. Is it the preceding or is it because they said two different things? To do and to hear. Medrash says, as he said, that God places two crowns on the head of his sons. And here it says that the angels descended and they bound the crowns. God versus the angels. And Ovis says there are three crowns. And then he breaks down four crowns. Where does that three and four crowns come from? The Medrash also? No, ethics of the fathers. Three crowns, the crown of Torah, the crown of uh, priesthood, the crown of kingship. These three crowns compared are the, are the three uh, paths, are the three lines, the three pillars. And then, Yagdim in He begins by introducing what is Kesar in general. Gimel Perushim B'Kesar. Kesar has three meanings from the Pardis. Echad Loshan Hamtana. One is patience to wait. And he says, this is Hakavu Hakavu Vatikva. This is the Hakavu, wait, Hakavu, uh, holding back, uh, um, holding back, refraining Vatikva and the hope. Those two elements in patience and waiting. Beis Loshan Atara. Second from the word crown. And third, from the words encircling. And he explains, Keser, to the highest, highest levels, is the level of will that encompasses everything and then surrounds and encircles everything. And that's why Keser, wherever and every place is a mamutz, is an interface. Because before the awakening of the will, even to himself, he's completely concealed and separate entirely from the thing that he wants, thing outside of him. And the awakening, the stirrings of the will, that is the, the, the drawing, the leaning toward these galus, this revelation, that he should begin to have a shaykhis, to begin to have some relationship, some connection. So the beginning of a relationship is keser. Therefore, it is the mamutza, because it creates the beginning of a relationship between two entities, without which, take away rotsen, you don't have that interface. That's chapter one. Chapter two, he's going to start explaining to understand this level of rotsen, this level of the interface, we have to start understanding the structure itself what it's interfacing with. And he's going to dissect the structure and then travel back
to the will, back to the essence. So this was chapter one, page one till three, Hamshakha and Boris.